0: Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet, and both thirsts would be slaked. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Come, Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, as we quiet ourselves, we hear the crickets singing. It is their love song that all of creation is singing. Everything you made, Lord, is singing to us, drawing us, beckoning us, alluring us into deeper and deeper waters. Put out into the deep, Jesus, you say. Lower your nets for a catch. Do the wasteful thing, the risky thing, the lavish thing, the prodigal thing. Mm -hmm. Lord, you are prodigal love. I'm just so grateful. Tonight, Lord, I ask your Holy Spirit to saturate me in my mind, and my memory, all of my intellectual faculties, my teaching, charisms, everything Jesus. May it be of service, an instrument in your hand. And for my dear sisters here, Lord, that you would open their hearts to receive deeply what it is in particular you want them to receive as they prepare to spend time in silence with you. And we entrust ourselves, our hearts this night, to Mary, our Queen, the one through whom the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. As we pray, Hail Mary, full Lord, of grace, Christ the Christ Lord is with thee. With thee. Blessed, blessed art thou, thou among Lord, women, and, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, womb Jesus. Holy Lord, Mary, Mary Mother of God, God pray, for, pray for, us sinners, for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, I just keep thinking, I just was thinking that this is the second talk that I've given exclusively to a group of women in like the last three weeks, four weeks, month, Yeah. I don't know, and change. Some of you were at the a talk I gave a, a little while ago at, uh, where were we? Mayor Doman's house. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, that was like a two hour long talk. I had a lot to share. It won't be that long, I promise. Actually, I can't promise that. I don't know what's going to happen. I got some thoughts and we're going to see where this goes and... Uh, but I, as I said then, and I'll say it again today, um, this is one of my favorite contexts to, to to speak, and I like, and I know all of you, and I've known all of you for so long. So it's just a, such a gift to be able to pour back into you. So, uh, postinia, um, do you, any of you know what the word means? Postinia, do you know what the word means? A postinia retreat, into
1: the, into the desert, into the desert. desert.
0: Huh. Oh sorry. No, e- <laughs> no eating. No <laughs> eating. Starting. Yeah, the word means desert, right? So Russian word means desert, and it was popularized. If you don't know this, it was popularized. These, this form of retreat was popularized uh, in the United States by Servant of God Catherine Doherty, who um, she's the foundress of this amazing movement, um, kind of similar to Dorothy Day in a way, uh, called the Madonna House. Um, this one in upstate New York. If
1: they were actually they knew each other.
0: Of course they did. Of course they did, right? That's how saints go. Right? They know each other. So, uh, so Catherine Doherty, she's got some incredible writing, some incredible stuff. I would recommend if between now and then, just to um, look her up and maybe read one of her books. She's got beautiful stuff on priests and seminarians. It's a beautiful book called Postinia. Her last name is spelled D O H E R T Y. Catherine Doherty, and the whole vision of it is. It's, it's a privileged time to enter into the desert. Right? And like, when we think of desert, uh, I guess as Catholics we, we, we might associate it with Lent. Um, right? Lent is the desert time. And if we do that, we, we probably think of it in terms of not eating. We probably think of it in terms of deprivation as a time of suffering, a time of struggle. But when you look at the scriptures, that's not what the desert is. right? The desert is, scripturally speaking, the place of romance. Um, It's the place where Israel was allured and wooed over and over again um, to return to the Lord. The desert is a place where lovers meet, right? It's, uh, think back in the Old Testament. Where did um, Jacob meet his wife? It was out in the desert, right? Where did uh, Moses meet his wife? Out in the desert, the Lord says through the prophet Hosea, "I will allure you and draw you out into the wilderness, and I will um, woo you." Essentially, um, it is like that's how Lent begins every year. It's a drawing us out into the desert, not for the sake of suffering, but for the sake of encounter, the sake of romance, the sake of being with the one who loves us in a way that we can't even fathom. So this this postini retreat, while you are all taking the initiative to go, it is it is first and foremost. Uh, come, it's issuing forth as an invitation from the Lord's heart, right? Paragraph 25.16 of the Catechism says that, um, hang on, I had it a second ago. Hang on, who else has the Catechism memorized? The...
1: Man may forget
0: his creator, he may hide from his face, he may run after idols and accuse the deity... Of having abandoned him, but the living and true God tirelessly pursues the human person and calls each to that mysterious encounter known as prayer. In prayer, God's invitation always comes first. Our first step is always a response. Our first step is always a response. So the moment you step into that room, um, like you are automatically, already responding to God. Who's, who's already done all the hard work, right? Like you are in these weeks and months leading up to that moment where you step into that room to begin your retreat. Um, you are already walking on a red carpet that's being rolled out before you. Um, all of our actions in prayer are always a response. It's, it's particularly a response to Jesus who's still saying to us, as he said to his apostles, um, As he says to you, who lead very busy, exhausting, full lives, come away by yourselves to an empty place and rest a while. Come away by yourselves to an empty empty place and rest a while. It is, if you will, like a couple's retreat. That's what a postina is. It's an opportunity to be just in deep dialogue with Jesus. So look, maybe like those hours that you'll be in your room, maybe you'll have uh, a few hours of really, really deep, um, just rich prayer and journaling and reflection and contemplation um, maybe like that's what the lord has got in mind for you like maybe it's going to be awesome in that regard right but maybe you'll sleep for 20 of the 24 hours like
1: lord? <laughs> i need more wine
0: <laughs> Those muscle relaxers are kicking in <laughs> you still got your tranquilizer well, dart in your neck
1: somebody knows my
0: So maybe you'll sleep in the 20 to the 24 hours. And that's like, that's great too, right? That's totally fine. Like as far as we know, God spoke to Joseph exclusively in dreams, right? Exclusively in dreams. So we'll just assume that if that's you sleeping most of your postina retreat, that that's God speaking mystically to you. St. Therese, right? Who's, I was telling Jane at dinner, St. Therese, who, uh, man, there's a there's, there's a, there's a, there's a, I don't know. She's very high on the list of people that I really cannot wait to meet in the kingdom. Um, but she has. She said that when she when she often fell asleep during her time in chapel. Saint Therese, doctor of the church, often fell asleep in the chapel. There's hope for all of us. Maybe one of these days I'll tell you the story. Maybe the end of all this. I'll tell you the story of when I actually fell asleep in the actual garden of Gethsemane in Jerusalem. <laughs> I I did. I actually yeah making a holy hour in Gethsemane. Fell asleep there. We'll talk about that later. Holy people fall asleep in lots of lots of very important places. But Therese said. That when she fell asleep during her time in chapel, she never got frustrated with herself, but instead she thought, how this must so delight the heart of my father,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: That uh, to have one of his little ones fall asleep in his arms. I mean, who among us does not love when a baby falls asleep in your arms, oh, right? Yeah. That is that is That delights the heart of the father, and that's what happens. So, if you're going to fall asleep in Pristinia, that's fine. That's fine. That's totally fine. So I've done a number of, re- of silent retreats over my over the years that I've been walking with the Lord. Retreats, um, silent retreats in the seminary, silent retreats now as a priest, and a handful of them have been postini retreats. Some of you know this story because I've shared it before. But my first postini retreat in this seminary was anything but um, uh, glorious uh, or <laughs> impressive. So the um, you do a postini retreat at the beginning of yeah, first theology, right? So you do your four years of undergrad, and then you go into the graduate side of things, and you're kind of doing more intense theological studies. And part of that whole process is you do this, this you know, 24 hours in one of the, the rooms on the third floor of the seminary, and um, the weeks leading up to it, I was feeling, like, this intense trepidation, like, like someone was pushing me inexorably to this edge of a cliff, is what it felt like internally. There was this, all of this angst, all of this anxiety... So, Father Loya, who's the spiritual director of the seminary, he brought my classmates and I into the chapel upstairs, he sat us all down, we had our loaf of bread, we had our pitcher of water, we had our, you know, our uh, blankets and um, pillow, and all that, like, we had our stuff, we were in our like most comfy clothes, right, and he escorted us one by one into our rooms, which were called cells, okay, cells, first of all, right, like... <laughs> Like, a prisoner is in a cell, okay? So we we're all going to our cells. And Father Loy, like, you know, first guy goes out. And you're just like, you're expecting to hear, like, a guillotine come down, right? Like, shing! Like, like a head of lettuce gets chopped back, right? So it was finally my turn. He, he he escorts me to my cell. He opens the door. He lets me in. I go, I, I'm go. holding all my stuff, and I, like, turn around, and I look at him, and I'm, like, shaking. And he just goes... Ah. and he closes the door, right, and I'm like, ah! <laughs> just suddenly just so fearful, just so fearful, I'm like, okay, 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 you'll be fine, you, you're a seminarian, like, you're studying to be a priest, you can do this, you can totally, totally, totally do this, so I, 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 I set my room up, I made my bed, I took my time, made my bed, fluffed my pillow, made sure it was good, and then it's like, it uh, took 10 minutes. Okay, all right, so.
1: did
0: have your watch. No, no, I didn't have my watch, right? But you're know, like, I got like 23 more hours, right? 23 hours, 45 more minutes. So uh, I started doing recon in the room. Just like, what do I got going on in this room? Okay. So (laughs) open the closet doors. Anything fun in the closet door? Like, is there like an Xbox? Someone happened to accidentally leave in the closet? (laughs) Wouldn't that be sweet? No, there wasn't. Was there like one of those ping pong paddle things, right? No, there's none of that in there. Um, Then I did like, you know, I'm counting. I wonder how many ceiling tiles I have. I count all my ceiling tiles. Then how many like tiles are on the floor? I counted all those and I knew the number of what I had on the ceiling on the floor. And then um, like, oh, there's drawers. What's in the drawers? And I pull out the drawers. There's nothing in the drawers. And I flipped one of the drawers open over, so I pull out, and like carved into the back of the one of the drawers was the word help. <laughs> 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 I'm like, oh my god, sorry. died in here. <laughs> and so like at this point I'm like, <sighs> heart's pounding, right? <laughs> so okay, obviously. No, it's a drawer over. I, there was i had nothing to do Jane. yeah i was not the first one yeah i was not the first one okay so at this point i'm getting very nervous and very anxious so i figured being of the husky persuasion i'm like i'll eat i will eat i will eat some of my bread right so i sat by my window and i had my loaf of bread and just was looking out the window just watching life and just started like just mindlessly eating my bread and at a certain point, I looked down and I realized I had eaten nearly all of my loaf of bread. Like, it was almost all gone. And then serious panic comes over me because I'm like, that is the food that was supposed to last me for these 24 hours. I am assuredly going to die in here. Like, there's, they're going to find my shriveled-up prune corpse.
1: Like, You know,
0: you know I better just switch my bravery to the right pages so I look heroic when I die. But... So I was really panicking. It was really, really bad, right? So here was the whole thing, right? Like, I just didn't know how to enter into it. And then, like, as I just sat there, there was this, I forced myself to sit. And I had this icon in my room. I forced myself to sit, and I was staring at this icon. And the uh, what began to bubble up in my heart was all of this stuff, right? The problem with us moderns, like, not just modern men, modern women, the problem with us modern people, modern Christians is that we move at this pace of life that robs us of the ability to, to, to really live in touch with our hearts and to live in touch with those deeper realities. You know, the image that I have is, um, think of like a speedboat, right? Moving through the water. And in its wake, it's churning up all this stuff, right? There's all this debris churned up in the wake and, it, and oftentimes that debris follows the boat while it's going along. And, like, that's our that's us moving through life, right? And, and, and very seldom do we pause to, th- like, look, like, what's actually following me? The wake of my heart, the wake of my life. Then what happened as I began to pause and slow down, that wake started, like, coming in, right? That stuff starts bubbling up. The stuff that I typically am able to keep in front of by keeping busy, keeping active, keeping all the things buzzing and moving in my mind, all of that stuff, because I wasn't moving fast at that pace, I was like, oh, we can finally catch up to him. And it starts rising to the surface. Right? And what I was completely just not in touch with at that point in my life, it's certainly on that retreat, was that there was another person in that room waiting for me who was ready for all of that stuff. right? It took me about 23 hours to realize... <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Jesus was... Oh, gosh. Oh, now I'm going to have a good retreat. <laughs> it, like It took me 23 hours. Usually it takes me about 59 minutes to pray a holy hour. Turns out it takes me 23 hours to pray and do a postinia, right? The idea of being with another wasn't really in my mind. It wasn't really there. All of that to say, enter into it, not how I did enter into it knowing that like... I thought I was the first one to walk into that room when Father Loya opened the door. The reality was Jesus got in there like before I did. He was already waiting for me there, just like Jesus was waiting at the well for the Samaritan woman to meet him there. Right? Like, why did he have to go through that town? Why did he make like? If you look at a map, geographically, what he did going to that town, Sychar, uh, was just it was it was out of the way. Right so Jesus deliberately went to that town to wait at that well because he knew that woman was coming right we know that long gospel story in John's gospel that whole long you know give me a drink sir you don't have a bucket the well is deep and how are you a Jew asking me a Samaritan for water da, 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 da. like Jesus was already waiting for it at the well he's already waiting for you at the well he's already there he's already there he's already there he's already there, he's already there. So postinia is an opportunity to receive from that heart that's waiting there to love you. Plain and simple. It's a beautiful quote from Pope Benedict. He said uh, at World Youth Day in 2008 to the young people, he said, Prayer is working really hard to attract God's love. J- just, kidding, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding, just
1: kidding.
0: Prayer is pure receptivity to God's grace, love in action, communion with the Spirit who dwells within us, leading us through Jesus in the church to our Heavenly Father. In the power of His Spirit, Jesus is always present in our hearts, quietly waiting for us to be still with Him. Let me read that again. Jesus is always present in our hearts, Quietly waiting for us to be still with him, to hear his voice, to abide in his love, and to receive power from on high, enabling us to be salt and light for our world. See what that means? Like, I don't want to, like, scandalize anybody here with anything that sounds heretical, but as Catholics, because we have the immense gift of Eucharistic adoration, of the presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, Uh, I think we sometimes think that the best prayer I can do is done exclusively in the presence of Jesus. Like, I need to be physically in, in, in front of him. While it is absolutely true that there is something unique and distinct and immensely powerful in that gift, it is also absolutely true that Jesus abides in our hearts, not in a diluted form, not in a diminished form, not in a second-rate form, but truly abides in us, and as Pope Benedict said, is quietly waiting for us to be still with him, to hear his voice. Part of the, the missed opportunity of the church at the beginning of the pandemic was, we failed to preach that we failed to teach people that. We failed in a thousand ways. But when we just so quickly decided that what we needed to do was become IT experts and stream our masses online so that people can just keep watching mass, we we missed an opportunity to teach people how to actually commune with the Lord. Mm-hmm right? Cuz if if you can only be in relationship with Jesus when you are in his presence that 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 doesn't sound great. Right? Remember when he said to the apostles before the ascension, it is better for you that I go. It's better for you that I go. That is why it's better for us that he went. Because for like Andrew, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, like all those guys, like, if they weren't in His presence, they weren't with Him. Mm-hmm. But you and I, mm-hmm. we don't have to be in His presence to be with Him. Because He abides in us. Mm-hmm. So on Postinia, you get to experience or get to enter into what uh, uh, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity called the indwelling presence of God. Right, Elizabeth of the Trinity, she had this amazing line where she said, "I don't have to look up to heaven to find God. I look into my heart to find him cuz that's where he is. That's where he is." We carry, she goes, "I carry heaven within me." Woo! That one blows the kids' minds at school. They're like, "What?" <laughs> yeah. And the thing is when we when it comes to this intentional time of prayer there is an enemy who does not want you to enter into it and he doesn't want you to reap the fruits from it like the devil's really good at convincing us that God doesn't and just won't speak to us in prayer like the the past experience of of some, you know dry spells of just feeling like this is this is how I've always experienced God the enemy is really good at playing that highlight reel and saying See, he doesn't talk. He doesn't talk. It's a lead ceiling. Anything you send up, it doesn't get through. And nothing, if anything, if there are signals coming in, they're not getting in. He won't listen. He won't talk. Then when, he, then when we pray, he's going to give us the silent treatment. I think the enemy's convinced us um, that, uh, that God lets us cry it out. I don't know what you moms did when your babies were little, but, you know, diversity of philosophies here. Um them. Respond to every cry, right? Like, which, which you got different, different methods. But we've been convinced that, that God is just, he's letting us cry it out. It's just like, we're just wailing in the crib of life, and it's like, they'll be fine. They're fine. That's not a really bad cry. They're fine. I'll get to them if they really need me, but they're fine right now. And that's not true. The word paraclete literally means the one who answers the cry. Like the Holy Spirit is the one who answers the cry. So the enemy frustrates us also. Not only does he get us to think that God's not going to speak, that we won't be able to hear him, but he then frustrates us by getting us to compare our experiences of what feels like dry prayer to other people who... um, seem like they have these you know, they're levitating with insights they're hearing voices, having mystical locutions, you know like private revelation and uh, like you know, another Marian apparition happened in that lady's cell over there during close retreat, right? Like, and you're over <laughs> here going like, just give me something right? Surely everyone over there is floating and I'm here just like struggling, right? The enemy is really good, the enemy is really good at whispering, you're doing it wrong you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. He wants you to think about prayer as technique. is not about technique. It's simply about relational dynamics. It's simply about relationship. Right? If we think of prayer about like, okay, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? Then you're not doing it. When you're talking to someone, if you're constantly thinking, am I doing this right? 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 Or like, lovers, right? Like young love, kissing, making out. If one of them is thinking, am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? <laughs> it's going to, I mean, I don't know from experience, but I imagine that would dry up the romance pretty quick, right? It's not technique. It's just relationship. And I, I when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about my good buddy, Father Joe Koopman. Uh, Father Joe, he lived in Italy for four or five years. I, I can't remember. But so he, he's got these little Italian, you know, sayings all the time. So Everybody hang up the phone with him, he's like, okay, chow ciao, ciao And he hangs up the phone. But one of the things he says all the time is when guys are getting really like worked up about something, he's like, calma, calma, right? It's his way of saying, calm down, right? Calma. If that's where you find yourself, I guess, during postinia, is just here, Father Joe. Calma, I just mm-hmm. calma, stop worrying about the technique. So, some first principles, I guess, for us to consider is is this that Jesus Like, more than you want to hear from him, Jesus wants to talk to you. Like, it's my experience that, you know, when we talk about encounter in the church, that's been the big buzzword for the last uh, ten years. Encounter, encounter, encounter. Um, We think, I think, well, we I think most people, most church people, when they think about that word encounter, they're thinking about it like, man, I really want to encounter God. And yeah, I think that's true. I think what people don't realize is how much more God wants to encounter us. Um, and, and I think what people don't realize is what people are afraid of. They're interested in the idea of encountering God, like in an abstract, theoretical way. Like, yeah, that'd be really cool. Um, but then the idea of God encou- like God encountering the real me, um, boy, that, I don't know about that. I use this example that, like, I think a lot of people want to encounter God, like, I want to encounter lions at the zoo, like, very safely behind glass, Like, you're over there, I'm here. Um, But, like, Jesus wants to encounter you, right? Like, as you step into this postinia, you do not have to convince him to be interested in you. You don't have to convince him to, like, like, can I just trouble you for a few minutes of your time, right? Like... One of the things that, that that's really sad about just the reality of priesthood today is the fact that we are so busy, and the people know that we're so busy. And it just it does sad me how often people people are so hesitant to reach out to me, in particular, like oh, Father, I know you're I know you're so busy I know you're so busy, but blah 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 blah, blah. I know you're so busy. Can I just like I can I just trouble you for this da, da 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 right? Like, Jesus isn't too busy for you. He's just not too busy for you. He wants to encounter you. He's, he's already interested in you. He wants to speak to you. And he wants to move past our, our favorite social liturgy, which is, you know, Hey, how are you? Great. How are you? Right? Like that level of superficiality. Um, he wants to move so much further than that. Uh, and I think very often... We treat Jesus like we treat, you know, or we respond to him in the same way that we respond to, you know, someone you might see in the line over when you're checking out with your groceries in, in Giant Eagle or something. Like, like, hey, Jane, how are you? Great, how are you? Good to see you. Okay, talk to you later. Right? Jesus comes to you like, hey, how are you? You're like, great, good to see you. Hey, have a good day. <laughs> yeah, right back at you. Hey. Hey. Yeah. That's right, right? <laughs> yeah. And then, like, he wants to... Okay, so imagine this. So, like, Jesus comes to you and says, like, Hey, how are you? And you go, Great, how are you? He's like, No, 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 no. Like, I'm, I'm Jesus. Like, how are you? Like, you're like, Oh. Oh, you... you okay, so you want to know. Because we know when people don't really want to know when they ask that question. But he's like, I've, I've got eternity to hear you out on that. Like, like, how are you? That's him. That is him. I mean, those of you got, like, oh, you got kids, right? But, like, I mean, your kids come home from school, and uh, you ask how the day was, and it's, what's the answer? Like, if you get an answer, what's the answer that you get?
1: Fine. Fine.
0: Fine. <laughs> just, as just, like, a sort of, like, heart, prayer, spirituality check, um, notice how often you want to tell Jesus that you're just fine. Mm-hmm. Right? Um. Because in your heart, as a mom, like there's, like when your kid says "fine," what's what does your heart say? No, tell me how it really is. Tell me how it really is. like. Just mm-hmm. tell me something. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell me something, mm-hmm. right? Engage me. I, my favorite scene with Jesus. One of my favorite scenes with Jesus is on the road to Emmaus. Right, mm-hmm. that post-resurrection scene. Mm-hmm. They're walking along the way, Cleophas and, I think it's his wife. We'll talk about that later. But Cleophas and his wife, they're walking along the road. And they don't recognize Jesus, right? And he comes up and he's walking with them. They're discussing. The reason, part of the reason why I think it's Cleophas and his wife, because the Greek word actually is these two were arguing as they were walking <laughs> along the way. Ferociously arguing. Okay, they were probably, they were probably lost. Anyway, so, um, so they're walking along the way and Jesus asks them the question, what are you talking about as you walk along the way? And, uh, and Cleophas says, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's happened in these past many days? And Jesus is like, No, like, like, what sort of things is what he says. He doesn't come out and say, like, you dummy, I'm Jesus. Like, of course I know what happened, right? He says, he plays dumb. He says, what sort of things? What sort of things? I want to know. I want to know. I just love the fact that he plays dumb. Like, just think about that. Like, he walks along with you. He approaches you. And, of course, he knows all the things that Flo has been dealing with. He knows all the things, more intimately than you know him, right? And yet he says to you, Flo, what, what's, what's been going on? What have you been talking about interior, externally, in these past many days, right? Because if he didn't do that, we, we, as human beings, wouldn't be able to enter into relationship with him, right? He doesn't, treat, we, we, we have to stop treating him like a mind reader, even though he is, but that's not how we enter into a relationship, right? He wants to speak with you. He wants to enter into dialogue with you. He wants you to experience like a communication of his of his word, of his peace, of rest, of clarity, and all that stuff. So one of the most beautiful things that you get to do on Postini is you get to soak in Scripture for as long as you want. Like, when else do you really get 24 hours of uninterrupted time where you really get to just sit in this, this book that thousands upon thousands of men and women and children like bled and died for. Like this book that you just get, like so blithely get to have, mm-hmm. right? You know, that sits on your shelf or you have an app on your phone. Um, you get to sit in the Lord's word, right? The Lord's voice is guaranteed in the scripture, mm-hmm. right? If there's a point during their postini where you feel like, I just don't feel, feel like I can hear him, I don't know. What God's saying to me, you got like several hundred thousand words of like of the Lord that you can read, right? Like after the readings at Mass, we don't say the words about the Lord. We say the word of the Lord, right? Because it is His word. In the uh, Second Vatican Council, the their document on the Church, or on, I'm sorry, on Scripture De Verbum, it says this. In the sacred books of Scripture, the Father, who is in heaven, comes lovingly to meet his children and talks with them. In this, the Father who is in heaven comes lovingly to meet his children and talks with them. This is... Okay, so think back when your, your babies were very little, right? And you would hold them and look at them and how would you talk to them? How do you talk to uh, to, to Big Patrick? Putting oh, you on the spot. With
1: all the, like,
0: all the goo-goo. All the goo-goo. All the goo-goo, all the gaga, right? Yeah. It's, it's, you know, your voice goes you're up. You're not like, yeah, your be. voice goes up. it's You're not like... You don't even speak, like, real words. You don't I speak don't. real
1: words. As you, as you... Yeah.
0: That's right. Yeah. Right? That is exactly what... This is like that's God the Father doing that to us, right? That's God the Father doing. This is Isaiah, right? Like that's what the scriptures are. It's this condescension, this like bending low to speak to us in a way that like we can hear him and understand him, or like begin to take him in, right? You don't talk to an infant the same way you talk to a grown up. I remember thinking when like. When Frank Laboda was born, it was it was very weird to have a little baby named Frank, right? Right, like hello Frank, right? So like I remember like looking at him, like how are the stocks today, Frank? Right? Like did you poop your pants again? Right? And like but like that's not how you talk to a baby, right? Like God the Father condescends to babble to us. That's what he's doing. He's 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 babbling to us, and what he wants to do is he wants to invite us to. Like soak in those words. You know, I I think I think a mark of of spiritual maturity is when our our interior voices, our interior monologue are so much more the Father's voice than anything else. Mm -hmm. Right? Like the Father wants us to each have living and active in our hearts um his voice. And the words that he says to us, the words he says about us, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, your interior monologue is probably filled with so much condemnation, so much self-accusation, so much shame, so much um, comparison, so much regret, so much angst, so much concern, like, so much that is just, like, that's, it's not his voice. It's just not his voice. It's not his voice. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. They know me, right? I mean, think about your hearts as moms and the things that you've been, like, since your, your your children were very little, the things that you've been trying to, like, that you were whispering over them, speaking over them, praying over them, speaking into their lives, like those things that you wanted to be echoing and resonating in their hearts as they grew, um, To have those voice, that voice of love and affirmation and truth echoing there. Right? That's what the Father wants. That's what he wants with us to soak in this word, right? And this word, it's it's just not it's not a dead letter, right? I love we had it just the other day in the, the daily mass readings from Hebrews that the word of God is living and effective. It's living and effective. Like, like what does that mean? This is living and effective. Like you pull a book off that shelf, like it's not living and it's not effective. Right? This is living. There's there's something like there's a very tight parallel between what we believe about Jesus and in His Incarnation, what we believe about the Eucharist, and what we believe about the Bible—like we say it in the Creed every Sunday: Jesus is true God and true man, right? True God and true man. In theology, we call that the hypostatic union, right—the coming together of two natures, human and divine, without mixing or mingling, right? That Jesus is true God and true man. Like he bled, he sweat. He died, right He had all the organs we have, um, all of those things, and at the same time, he had a divine will. divine nature was wedded to a human nature this this book, these words are true God and true man. These words were written truly by human authors using their own historical circumstances, using their own historical Idioms and phrases and and ideas and worldviews, all those things. But God made use of them to communicate to us that which he wanted us to know for our salvation. So like, while there are many books in the Bible, authored by many different authors, this is also at the same time one story with one author. It is true God and true man. And because of that, just like the Eucharist, it is like... It is the coming together of something so earthly and so heavenly, right? Like, those Eucharistic miracles that have happened in the course of the Church's history, revealing that in that bread is the living and beating heart of Jesus. Like, the Eucharistic miracle of Buenos Aires, which was one of the most recent ones, Pope Francis was still Archbishop Bergoglio at the time, but uh, the host that was found, do you guys know this story? Are you familiar with this? The host was a host was found at the at the back of the church after mass, and um, the person brought it forward to the priest. The priest, there's a few ways you can dispose of it. He could have just eaten it, uh, or you can let it soak in water, and then you can like pour it into the ground or into uh, a sink that, in the sacristy called a sacrarium right? So that sink drains directly into the earth. So he put the host in a cup of water, put that cup into the tabernacle, was just going to let it dissolve. He came back a few days later, and the host hadn't dissolved. A portion of it had transformed into bloody, human, fleshy tissue, right? Obviously very shocked. That's not usually what happens. He gave it to Archbishop Bergoglio, who kept it in his private residence for a few more years. And it didn't dissolve, didn't disintegrate. Bergoglio then sent it off, uh, samples of it, to two different labs in L.A. and New York, uh, asking them to study it. What is this? Um... He didn't tell him the origin of, of the sample. He just said, give me a, 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 a report on it. Both, report, both labs, independently of each other, concluded that this was human myocardial tissue, so human uh, from the left ventricle. I think that's the part that pumps the blood out into the body. Um, uh, it, was, it had evidence of severe uh, trauma, right? So like there was all these white blood cells permeated into the tissue. So it was it was indicative of someone who had suffered a tremendous amount of trauma, Before their death. But the strangest thing that both labs concluded was that the tissue was still alive. Inexplicably, the fibers in the host, the fibers, were still firing. The heart was still beating. The heart was still beating, right? (laughs) Living and effective. Or then hear the words from the Eucharistic Prayer. We offer you this living sacrifice, right? Sacrifices in the ancient world, when they were on the altar, guess what? They weren't living. Their throats were cut. They were dead. They were dead sacrifices. Living. It is living. This word, if you can imagine, there's a like it's beating, Mm -hmm. right? This book is beating because there's a heart here that wants to communicate itself to you. So one of the things that uh, I want to encourage you to do over your postinia and over these months preparing for it is to begin practicing this ancient tradition the church has called lectio divina. It's Latin for divine reading or holy reading. It's just a way to, as the Benedictines who developed this, they said it's, it's how to consume the scriptures deeply, how to savor them deeply. This is, this is Pope Benedict uh, on Lexio Divina. He says this, The church must be constantly renewed and rejuvenated, and the, word of, and the word of God, which never ages and is never depleted, is a privileged means to achieve this goal. Indeed, it is the word of God Through the Holy Spirit, which always guides us to the whole truth. In this context, I would like in particular to recall and recommend the ancient tradition of Lexio Divina, which is the diligent reading of sacred scripture accompanied by prayer. It brings about that intimate dialogue in which the person reading hears God who is speaking and in praying responds to him with trusting openness of heart. I love this line. If it is effectively promoted, this practice will bring to the church—I am convinced of it—a new spiritual springtime.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How about that? Really beautiful. Right. So what I want to do here is I want to teach you, or at least do a refresher, if you've already, you know, had some uh, some practice with this, on Lexio Divina, using this acronym, RAP. W R A P. So um that's why I wanted to give you this sheet something practical to walk out of here with. All right. So, Lexio Divina is not a technique. It is it's a it's a way to approach the reality of this thing, right? Okay, this thing. This is a beating heart. This is God's beating heart I'm trying to communicate itself to you. How ought I appropriately approach this? Okay? Like, should I just simply like (coughs) read it through, right? Is that the appropriate way to approach this thing, which is a beating heart in like verb form, word form? No. That's not the that's not the appropriate way. Lexio Divina, divine reading is the way, is the proper posture, it's the proper way. To, to, like, approach Scripture, right? Outside of the context of liturgy, outside of the context of worship, right? Because, like, the Bible is not meant to, like, God didn't want us to have a Bible so that we can do Bible studies. He didn't give us a Bible so that we could do Bible studies, so that we could do our own private Bible study reading that we could do, like, he gave us the Bible for worship. Like, these are God's words, like, the the, the natural habitat, if you will, of the scriptures is worship, mm-hmm. is the mass, it's liturgy, right? But when it's out of the context of liturgy, how are we supposed to approach it? Not as like a scientific specimen that I dissect and cut open, but as a beating heart that's trying to, like, it's trying to communicate to me, mm-hmm. right? If I if I'm if I'm not approaching it like in a relational way, then I'm not approaching it correctly. Mm-hmm. I'm doing. I'm doing a disservice. I'm. I'm. I'm missing out on what's supposed to be happening. Does that make sense? Okay. So the first step in Lexio Divina. There's a lot of different ways. You know. There's. There's. Forget it. This is. This is just. I think one of the simplest, um, clearest ways to articulate what the Church is saying. Um, I'll. I'll get to. I'll get to this uh, after I go through this. But when it comes to picking the text, so so say you've decided on the text you're going to pray with, what you begin to do at the beginning is is you are simply familiarizing yourself with the text. You're reading it and savoring it. You're reading it slowly. We read so fast. Even at Mass, we read so fast. Like When I went on retreat with uh, Benedictines at the St. Vincent's Arch Abbey in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, like I was... I couldn't believe how slow they were reading how slow they were praying the psalms for the liturgy the hours how slow they were praying the the reading the text at mass but I found by the end of the retreat I was like oh my gosh yeah like I can savor this so much better when it's being read at a pace that I can di- di- uh, digest so this W here right or underline right but you're what you're asking here is underlining or writing the word or the words or phrase to which you are most drawn. One of my spiritual directors in the past he, he said to me, got to notice what you notice. Mm-hmm. right?" So in a given text, you want to notice the lines or the phrases that the Holy Spirit seems to be spotlighting for you. St. Philip I put it this way, you're listening for the words upon which your heart rests. In my imagination I see it this way that there are as I'm reading there's suddenly like a divine highlighter that just happens to select this word or this phrase out of the out of the passage like so for example earlier today when I was I was praying uh, for what I wanted to preach tomorrow at mass the first reading is from Paul to the Romans um, and by the way if like it's so important to have a physical Bible, mm-hmm. right? Like incarnation, fleshy things, right? Um, that's just, it's, I think that's just very, very important. So you can underline all those things. Okay. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, whoever you are, when you judge one another, for in passing judgment upon him, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, are doing the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who do such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, that when you judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself, you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you not know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? That. Okay, as I was reading and going through this, like, that was, as I just sped read right through that, okay, forgive me, Lord, okay, uh, that was the line. Do you not know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Do you not know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So like, as I was going through this text, I noticed what I noticed. And my heart rested on those words. Like, these are the verses that seem to arise out of the passage, right? They capture your attention. And you want to just, like prayerfully, slowly, just repeat it over and over again. I find that, like, saying it out loud, putting different accent marks on different parts of the sentence, different um, emphasis on different words, I mean, it, it just brings out meaning, right? Um, it also helps to clarify the tone, right? Because Scripture is devoid of the tone, the authentic tone. Um you need to hear the authentic tone of the Holy Spirit's voice speaking, right? Because it's not, do you not know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Like, that's not the tone. It's not the tone. So saying it out loud helps you find the tone. So what you're doing here in this first step is you are writing, or underlining those words or those phrases that happen to be the ones the Holy Spirit highlights for you. Then you move to the R, reflect. And you're letting this text, like, confront your heart, your story, your life, right? This text is confronting you. Like, what is the Lord trying to communicate with these words to you? The image I have here in some ways is, um, you want to let this passage, this truth, this scene, these words, the phrase I was using in my mind was, you want to let it swirl around in your mind and your heart. Like think of how, you know, a good sommelier tastes and tests wine, right? Like it's a hmm, like oh, nice legs, right? Those sorts of things. Like you're 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 savoring it. You're letting it swirl around. This is where um, the role of imagination is very powerful. It's very powerful when it comes to praying with scripture. Imagination is not fantasy. Imagination is that faculty of your soul that God has given you to be the arena in which the stage upon which his like his word can be communicated to you mm-hmm. like our imaginations we're, were taught as kids our imaginations are fake or they, they give rise to fake things um, the imagination is the faculty of the soul where God speaks mm-hmm. St. Joan of Arc uh, when she was on trial before she was executed, she was, you know, accused of witchcraft and all those things. And they said to her, "All this stuff, Joan, it's in your imagination." She's like, "Like, of course it is. How else would God talk to me?" Like, we need to give so much more latitude to our imaginations. Mm-hmm. This is where, you know, if you have any experience with like meditation with the scriptures, you know, St. Ignatius has this beautiful approach to. To praying with scripture, that's very powerful here. That it's you're and you're seeking to enter into the word, you're entering into the scene, Mm -hmm. so to speak. You know, we have these physical senses, but we also have these spiritual senses. So, our bodily senses, we they're mirrored in the spiritual order in the imagination. So, like, put yourself at imaginatively at the seashore, Mm -hmm. you know, in Galilee. What does the breeze feel like on your face? Is it salty? Is it crisp? Is it cold? Is it warm? Are the, are there clouds in the sky? What do the rocks feel like under your feet? Like put yourself into the scene, right? Using your five senses. And I've often thought that Mary here is such a helpful helpful guide. You know, she's a, she's a Jewish mother and just like every other quintessential Jewish mother, all she wants to do is talk about her son. Okay, all she wants to do is talk about her son. All she wants to do is bring the photo albums of the scripture off the shelf and say, like, let me show you, like, let me show you all the things. Let me show you what our house looked like. Let me show you Jesus' first birthday. Let me show you when we got lost in the temple. Right, she's got photo albums of all of it. Ask her to like, all right, Mary, help me. You were like, you were there. Holy Spirit, you were there. Help me to see. Help me to see it. Help me to hear it. Help me to feel it. Help me to enter in. So, and this this uh, this second step, right? Reflect. You're you're entering into it, and you're letting this text, these words, like confront you or be like engage you, right? You're entering into it. Thirdly, here apply. This one makes me a little bit nervous because we're, we're very quick to look for, like, all right. So, what do I got to do? Right? Give me my marching orders. Okay, you're asking Jesus to show you how you can concretely apply whatever is going on in these steps so far, how you can apply it in a practical way in your life. Remembering that there is nothing more practical than discovering or rediscovering how utterly loved you are. Maybe the practical application is like... Oh, I'm just so loved. Oh, it's, I'm just so loved. I needed to know that. Right? It was Father Pedro Rupe, who was the vicar general for the Jesuits, who said a long time ago, there's nothing more practical than finding God, falling in love in an absolute and final way. There's nothing more practical than falling more deeply in love with God. So Jesus, all right, how do you want all of this to like, bear fruit in my life? What, like, how do you want me to apply this concretely Show me what you want me to do with this. And maybe he'll say, I just want you to receive it. I just want you to know it. I just want you to like know again how much I love you. Right? I think that's that's very important. And then finally, prayer and praise. This is just an opportunity, you know, the classic the classical way of talking about this last step is contemplatio. Or no, I'm sorry, is um yeah, contemplatio contemplation, what we would just call resting in the presence of God. Right? Like, you have just listened to the Father, Father's heart speaking to you. You've rested in that word. You've entered into it. You've let it confront your life, your heart. Um, and now, the like, what more is there to do than just simply be with Him? Right? To rest in that place. That is what, that's how you approach this. You approach this because, like, you approach this as if it is a beating heart seeking to communicate love to you. Right? If we're trying to dissect it or or, or try to do like, you know, scriptural scientific experiments on it, we're going to miss it. So I want to give you some um some practical advice. I want to give you some practical advice before I uh, just open it up for any questions, but the practical advice I would say uh one of the practical things is right, well what what should I pray with? Right? Like which it's a big bible, right? And a lot of books. Where should I start? One of the, like, I think one of the best places to start would be John's Gospel. Just because John's Gospel has all those long, beautiful miracle scenes, right? There's those encounters that um, Jesus has, those healing miracles, woman at the well. There's all. There's a lot there, right? There's these long dialogues, these long scenes. So if you're looking for, like, a long script, to so to speak, to enter into, John's Gospel's got a lot of good things for you there. Um, I would say, like... Is there a mystery, is there a particular mystery of the rosary that um, that has gripped you over the years, right? Like, is there, is it the wedding feast of Cana? Is it the nativity? Is it the visitation? Like, is there a particular mystery of the rosary that jumps out to you? Okay, well then, like, go to there in Scripture and, like, enter into that, right? I would certainly not recommend, like I said, like, trying to just, like, I'm just going to read Matthew's Gospel, Right, I'm going to read Mark. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't suggest that. I wouldn't suggest that you try and read this book like it's just any other book. It's not meant to be read like that. Um, I would say um, so. The date of the postini again is the weekend. Um, March four through six. Okay, so that's what. What days of the week is that? It's Friday
1: through Sunday.
0: Okay, so Sunday the sixth, March sixth. That's the first Sunday of Lent. I think.
1: We try to schedule it close to Lent. Hey, Jean, we Do you want to finish first yeah, something? let's get to that at the end here. Well, but yeah. I just, yeah, I wasn't
0: sure the, where the 24 hours, it's like, it says start fr- Friday night. When Basically, Friday the... evening from like 7 until 6 or 7 until like Saturday. Okay, okay. okay. that's yeah. my
1: question. So then, coming out of Pustinium, you
0: have like dinner, party, mass. mass oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very good. Mass that's mass
1: very good. And mass yeah. and then dinner. Party. Right, 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 right. <laughs> mass is
0: dinner. Party. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but like I, I, I think another place.
1: Uh, you can what? have just mass for dinner. <laughs>
0: I want a steak. All right. So anyway, the um, you can do Lexio Divina on on the readings for that Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. Just to enter into those readings even more deeply. Um, the uh, again, you're en- you're seeking to enter into it, and you're seeking to receive from the Father's heart that's beating there. Another really fun thing that you could even do. I'm just thinking about this now. Um Father Pat Anderson he he um, he preached a homily one time it was on Luke's Gospel chapter fifteen the parables of the lost sheep, lost coin, and the prodigal son. Mm-hmm. And he preached about how he put himself, especially with the lost coin, he put himself into the story and he imagined mm-hmm. that he was the coin. I think
1: I heard. You remember that? Said,
0: yeah. He he imagined that he was the yeah, coin. Guess, yes. And like I just like, obviously, it stuck with a lot of us. Like, I remember just being blown away by that. And, like, I was in particular blown away by just the insights or just the, like, how he shared what the Lord moved in his heart from that. That was so powerful and so beautiful. And so there's there's times where I put myself into these scenes thinking, like, okay, I'm just going to be a sheep. Or, like, I want to be the hyssop branch. Or I want to be the crown of thorns. Or I want, like, to be an inanimate object in that scene. Um there's just something very powerful about that. So um, I don't have like a smooth way to land this, but um, that's kind of my thoughts for you. A little bit over time. I don't know how long I'm supposed to go. but.
1: that was perfect. Does anyone have any
0: okay. questions? Yeah, anybody have any questions? I
1: want to hear when you fell asleep and doing your holy Oh, gosh. Okay, so it
0: was, it was, it was 2017. Myself and, and 10 other priests went to the Holy Land on pilgrimage and uh it was a whole day long of of hiking the we started in in the upper part of the old city Jerusalem in what is what's left of you know the um what marks the upper room and we walked down the Kidron Valley all those things yep. like you're reading John's gospel he left the upper room went down the Kidron Valley like there's a sign that says Kidron Valley that way right <laughs> you're like holy crap right Kidron Valley you know it was a lot of walking whole long day and um and we, we were able to pray uh, a, a holy hour in what's called the, the Basilica of All Nations. So it's a church built in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, and the crazy thing about Gethsemane, or the, the crazy thing about olive groves, is that olive trees. I didn't know this. They are. They can be hundreds, if not thousands, of years old, right? Because like they grow, and then like a shoot comes up from the from within, and it just like replenishes the tree. So like, so our our two, I got chills when our tour guide said. Um, most certainly, these were the trees that Jesus like, saw the night he was agonizing. Like, these trees? Holy crap. So um, the church is built over um, this huge rock formation that's in the ground that tradition has. This is the rock upon which Jesus fell when he was in his agony. Um, so our group joined up with this, this group of Mexican pilgrims who were there with their bishop. And, uh, so we come in there, we're like tightly packed. It's like nine o'clock at night around this altar, you know, a bunch of sweaty, tired dudes just sitting there and they put Jesus out on the altar and the, the bishop gets up and he, he preaches for like five minutes and there's like 10 minutes of silence, preaches for five minutes. I'm like, I understand Spanish. So like I'm listening but like I have to like really mentally engage to so, like okay I'm with you I know what you're saying that's great okay. But then at a certain point you're just like oh, I just can't do this anymore. So I just like okay I'm just going to close my eyes and pray. Which was a very big mistake, right? Yeah. Belly full of wine and shawarma and sitting there Mexican bishop talking talking and all of a sudden like what woke me up was my own
1: right? Like I
0: my snoring like woke me up and like I was like All of a sudden, I I was just like, oh my god, oh my god, and then like you realize where you are, like of all the places, you know, like to fall asleep. Yeah, can you not stay awake for one hour? Like, no, I can't, right? Like,
1: I can't, Lord.
0: Oh my gosh, like there must be something about the air down here. I don't know, Lord. Right. So like, what woke me up was that, and like I just started laughing, and I'm like. Unbelievable. <laughs> like the one place where you're not allowed to fall asleep during a holy hour. Like, oh gosh. I'm just like, oh and like that's like I've often thought that would be such a funny story to tell, like on Holy Thursday, you know? But you can't tell that story on Holy Thursday. <laughs> like that's <laughs> supposed to be like a sad night, right? Yeah, like you don't want any good you don't want to get like you your, yuck, yuck Yeah, story. you want any good yuck yucks on Holy Thursday. <laughs> oh, it was brutal.